0: The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi, everyone. Kimberly Fulker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Potted Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello, and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Carolus, and you are listening to PA the Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 19 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello? Hello there? Can you hear me? Are you there? Are you still there? (laughs) Hi, everybody. Long time no chat. Well, well, well. I apologize that I disappeared for a period of time. Usually I would like do an episode and I'd kind of give you a heads up, but I didn't even know that I was going to be taking an extended break from creating episodes of How to Chat Talking Dance. But here we are. It is now mid-January. I'm finally getting an episode out to you guys, so please forgive me. Um, this episode is going to explain a little bit of that, but I, I just thought that I would say um, that the the reason I disappeared for a bit is because putting on a show during COVID times, I mean, putting on a show within itself is a, an extremely... Uh, challenging endeavor. I wouldn't say extravagant. Perhaps it was extravagant as well, but it's, it's a challenging endeavor. But then you add like living in COVID times uh, with the performing arts, especially in New York City, where we seem to be like the first with like everything. Um, (laughs) it just made a very, very complicated situation. Um, and I was so overwhelmed that like if people emailed me and it didn't have anything to do with like the shows, like I just didn't answer them. And that's very unlike me. Um, And then when the shows were done, I had about five days to sort of like pull everything together to make sure like everybody got paid to make sure that I sealed up like a a few final things that I had to do, like returning all of our props to storage and whatnot. Um, And then my husband and I took a well-deserved vacation um, to CDMX, uh, Mexico City, Um and I got there and I was like, I'm not doing anything even remotely uh close to what could feel like work. This doesn't always feel like work, but I mean I do have to make the content and the time. Um but I I was just like I'm not doing anything that I don't want to do and I didn't want to do anything that was like planned and intensive. Um so I just took the time been back in New York city for about a week now. And again, like getting everything back in order, getting situated, um, and just like, you know, getting going for the new year. So, um, that is why I disappeared. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in this episode, but again, to all my faithful listeners, uh, thank you for, for just sticking it out. Um, and my intention is not to have these long breaks in between things, Um uh, like I've had recently. I'm pretty consistent with things. So it's weird, excuse me, that I have not been so consistent, but I'm back. I'm not gone. I'm still here. Um, So yeah. Um, What other updates do I have before I get into today's episode. Oh, um, I will be going to judge and teach at Youth America Grand Prix in Pittsburgh. I think it's January 20th through 23rd. So if you are uh, attending the Pittsburgh regionals, please do stop by and say hi to me. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing some talent and connecting with a new community and getting to, to teach a bit and share uh, my joy, love, passion and experience um, with dance. So uh, I'll be doing that. Also, I'm starting to book up some summer work. So if you are interested in having me uh, teach at your school in your program, um, or come out to choreograph solos for competition or group pieces, um, or even like career workshops or anything like that this summer. um, Currently, my entire summer is open. I did recently have a, a conversation or two so they might they might start booking up pretty quickly tis the season um but if you are interested in having me to teach other ballet or contemporary classes de deux, to create things um or share my knowledge and experience i it's one of my favorite things to do Um, especially during the summertime it's nice to like get out and really just like explore the national scene i am triple boosted i had covid so i'm pretty much like i'm ready and ready and raring to go this year. Let's just do this. Let's, let's get back to business people. Um, yeah, there are a couple other things in the work that I, the works that I can't talk about right now, but those are really like my major updates. So we are back on track. chat, Talking Dance 2022. Happy New Year, everybody. I forgot to say that. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season and a very happy New Year. Um, And I hope you didn't get COVID because I feel like everybody's gotten COVID at this point, except for a few. There's some fun, fun memes on like Instagram and TikTok, with people like dodging like tennis or like ping pong balls being thrown at them. Um, So if you haven't had COVID yet, that's you. Um, (laughs) I got smashed with the balls, the ping pong balls uh, back in October. So, all right. So let's go back to back to today's episode or the not back to, but let's get on to. Um, so talking about what I, I mentioned earlier, like why had I not podcasted? Why have I not podcasted in so long? So I kind of gave you like, a uh, quick rundown. Um, but I'm going to give you like a little bit more in depth because I feel like, uh, for a lot of people, they're kind of like watching the performing arts because, and, and, and sort of like, having feelings about covid and like the state of the world based off the performing arts because we tend to be like the first thing to shut down um on stage there's like dancers are interacting with each other touching uh breathing heavily um people are sitting in the audience um and it really just takes like one or two dominoes to fall for a production to like completely shut down these days it's crazy to th- like if, if i had mentioned this like four years ago it would sound insane but this it's crazy to think that this is like normal and it, and i mean it's crazy that this is normal but it's also crazy that it's happened it's it's crazy it's crazy people but yeah so um I think a lot of people don't really, uh, understand like what goes into putting on a production. Um, and then also like what goes into putting on a production in COVID times. So I thought I would talk about like programming in COVID times in the performing arts so that people have a better understanding. Um, I'm going to be sharing my experience from a small pickup company perspective. Um, but maybe I'll try to throw some tidbits in here when it comes to like larger, larger organizations. Um, So yeah, putting on a production the size of Land of the Sweets, which I talked about in my last episode of Chat, which was like a million years ago, um, it was wholly consuming. Um, In reality, like for me running Movement Headquarters, I'm essentially like a one-man show. Um, I do have several very generous, dedicated volunteers who help me with certain things. Um, I have a a wonderful uh, woman who has been helping me since we started the company with Uh, Like creating our programs for print, um, doing posters for marketing, Um, and she also is a wonderful chef. And she uh, did a lot of, uh, not a lot, she did all the food preparation for our shows. Um, And I have another lovely lady who has been helping me with uh, some marketing and advertisements and things like that. Um, And then, of course, like as it gets closer to the show, um, I get help from other people. Um, We have a wonderful donor who has been helping us with photography, and videography, and really just like getting things going. Um, and then um, my husband steps in um, closer to the shows and helps me like stay not just like focused and centered, but like checking to make sure I'm on track, and also helping and volunteering uh, the day of the shows. Um, but I mean, other than that, it's it's wholly consuming and overwhelming. Not only did I choreograph Land of the suites, um, I procured like lighting design, costume design, composition of the of the new score um video projections i purchased all of the props and scenery um i pretty much developed like the, the transitions uh between the choreography sections um and then beyond that like all of the verbiage for our advertisements and programs um actually no, i didn't do as much for the programs this time around but in the past that i've done that um scheduling, like finding, like getting the dancers' schedules together and my schedule together, and then finding studio space that's affordable. Um, and then playing with that, uh, there are, I mean, I'm probably leaving several things out, but like I do all of this while also maintaining a teaching schedule, um, once or twice a week in Connecticut and once a week in New York. Um, I also sometimes teach my own classes. I was doing some private lessons with students who are doing YGP choreography. Um, And then I also like sometimes write grants and things for Movement Headquarters during all this too. So it's beyond, beyond, beyond. And I actually kind of reached a breaking point. Um, I, I feel like I've gotten the point with my, my work that, uh, the productions are getting too big and I can't continue to do it on my own. So I'm actually taking a couple of, uh, months of like stepping on the back burner and trying to figure out how I can hire a part-time executive director to start giving some of the responsibilities, um, that are less artistic to somebody else so that I can really focus on our productions. Um, but yeah, so getting this show like off the ground, I've, it, it physically made me ill. Um, I was, I think that I reactivated mono that I had. Um, and so while all of this was going on, I was like dragging myself from rehearsal to teach to the train back to rehearsal. And then I come home like 10 o'clock at night exhausted and then I would work for another 3 or 4 hours purchasing things um scheduling and everything else that I already said. So um after this was over I needed a break uh because it was just like it was too much and then add covid on top of it. Um and it's unlike anything else that a director could experience. Um I mean, for me personally, aside from our first production with Movement Headquarters, I have not had the luxury of programming without COVID in mind. Um, we had our launch in February 2020, um, and there were like whispers of COVID, um, but it, it technically hadn't hit the city yet, even though I know several people who had COVID before the lockdown in March of 2020. Um, I, I know several people who had definitely had COVID in like January and February here in New York City of 2020. Um, but yeah, so I personally, I don't, I haven't really had the experience aside from that one time of what it's like to put on a show, um, without having to worry about COVID. Now, granted, I have been involved in other organizations, um, as a dancer, uh, as a choreographer, as a rehearsal director, um, as, like a union delegate and things like that to see like what it's like to program without having this pandemic. Um, but for me personally, I've never, or not never, but for the most part, not really had the experience of just getting to put on a show and not having like the stress and the added, uh, the added work and restrictions and stress of, uh, a viral pandemic. Um, so when, <laughs> when you like start thinking about what you're going to do to put on a program, and this could be, I mean, I'm not just talking about like a small professional company or a major professional company. This like, goes down even to like schools. So if you're a parent of a student in a recreational local school um, or you're a student, a pre-professional student in a school, um, you might not understand exactly like what it is takes to put on a production during COVID. So, okay, let's just discuss that (laughs) at at the beginning. So um, when you want to put on a program, there are several things that you have to do first. Like you have to make sure that you have uh, production in mind, whether that means you're going to choreograph it or not. Um, Or if you're bringing an old repertoire, um, you have to think, okay, where are we going to put on this production? Um, Or how are we going to sell tickets. Um, like what are the needs of the production? Do we have to get props and scenery? Do you have to like get the rights for music? Um, then of course there's all the other things that go into production, whether it's like a lighting designer, um, crew to like move things around on stage. So those are like the traditional things that you typically have to worry about. Um, when it comes to production ticket sales, marketing. Um, In a school, it might not really need that much marketing because you're kind of marketing to the students. But um, in a professional production, you're going to have to think about like marketing to audiences. Um, So that's like the general stuff that you typically have to take into account. Um, But with COVID, there's, like, so much more. Um, I, I had this great conversation with Celia Fischiel, um, from Smuin Ballet in San Francisco. Um, back in 2020, I wrote an article for Dance Magazine about whether uh, artists and dance companies should offer content, whether it was, like, teaching content or performance content online for free or for a fee. Um, and a part of the conversation was, like, how do you even get a production on stage during COVID times? And she said, I mean, I've, I've held on to this since, since she said this to me, but she said you have to have plan A through Z and you have to be ready to enact any of those plans at all times. Um, so when it comes to like putting on a production now, it's not like you just like put on the production, you know that it's going to run. Um, obviously, there are going to be bumps in the road in any type of production. It's like a wedding. Like I would often, I I will often compare like a wedding to a dance performance because there's so many aspects that go into it and a wedding is essentially a performance. Um, and, If you expect it to go perfectly, you're going to be miserable at your wedding. Um, But if you, like, set it up, you have everything in place. For the most part, it's going to go as planned, but you have to be willing to roll with several punches. Maybe, like, the flowers don't show up and you have to go out and purchase flowers at a store. And they weren't the flowers you wanted. Um, They weren't exactly the color you wanted, but, like, you still had a beautiful, like, beautiful scenery for for your wedding. Or maybe, um, the music stops playing while you're going down the aisle or the wrong music plays. And instead of crying, you like dance to the music until they like switch it and you just like roll with the punches. Um, that's very much what it's like to be, to, to put on a dance performance. Um, except instead of like having, inviting your guests and paying for them, um, your guests are paying to see the production. So there's a lot more stress in that way because, um, there's more expectations when somebody invests in coming to see a performance. Um, so yeah, plans A through Z, um, they, they could look very, very different. Um, usually like plan A is going to be like the world before COVID. Everything is perfect. Plan B could be like, um, okay, what if, I. There is news of a surge. Are we going to put the dancers in masks while they perform? Or um, what if one dancer gets sick? Okay, we'll have understudies. Plan C could be, um, well, what if we need to reduce the number of tickets we're selling and um, we need to spread the audience out even more? Plan D is this and that. You get to like plan G and it goes like, hey, okay, we do it online. and um, We sell tickets and get to plan like, z and it's like the world is shut down again we can't do anything and we lost all the money that we put into the production um so yeah, uh, that's obviously not a good plan, um, the last one, but it, it has happened. It could happen. It has happened. Um, and I think that the Nutcracker season for dance companies in the United States were actually very representative of that because most of the companies in the country started their holiday productions, but especially in New York City as the Omicron wave came, um, which was also the week of our shows for Movement Headquarters, um, Companies started to have to shut down to the point where the Rockets just closed their season. New York City Ballet just closed their season. Somehow the Metropolitan Opera continued. I don't know how they did that, but, um, uh, yeah, that, and they ended up, um, unfortunately going from whatever, like plan, starting with plan A and as it got worse, going to plan B, D, F, and then they got to the the end where it was just like, we, these are no longer safe or sustainable. So we have to close them. Um, so yeah, what do you have to be prepared for right now? Um you have to be prepared to be left financially destitute. Like let's just be honest here. I'm not gonna sit here and sugarcoat it. Um I mean I'm not I'm I'm being pretty straightforward about Land of the Sweets. We uh the, the entire production costs two twenty-four thousand dollars, um, which for a small pickup company, that's a massive, massive production. Um so for us like we put together our budget with a combination of um individual donations and then expectations of ticket sales. Um so we were able to get enough to like really get the production off the ground, but then in order to like pay off all of our debts, we um were really relying on ticket sales. Um so Obviously, not being able to hold the shows would leave us financially destitute. Um, but I'll get more to that in a second. Um, so what do you have to be prepared for? In this day and age, it, it really just depends on like the size of the company, the budget, and the ability. Like, um, first off, just like rehearsals, we started off actually not rehearsing in masks. Um, because uh, the way that I had set up the production. So I started building our new Immersive Nutcracker um during COVID. So it was all created as solos. Um, and so we, we, I had like one or two dancers in the studio at a time, depending if the understudy was available, plus me. Um, so it was really just like two or three of us in the studio and all of us were vaccinated and we weren't experiencing a surge, um, of, cases uh the positive positivity rate was very low so we wore we didn't wear masks which was more commonplace here um by the week in december i i ended up getting pretty sick during the production like i told you that i i think i like reactivated mono um and just because i wasn't feeling well. Um, Like, the chance of me having COVID at that point were, like, practically zilch because not only was I, like, vaccinated, but I also had COVID, like, a month prior. Um, But I said, it doesn't matter. We're going to put masks on. So we started rehearsing in masks again. Um... So that was, like, the first thing. And if anybody was even feeling slightly not well, um, they wouldn't come to rehearsal. And it's funny because, like, pre- previously it would be, like, annoying, frustrating, and almost, like, looked down on to not show up to rehearsal if you were, like, feeling slightly unwell. But now it's, like, kind of an expectation. Um, but, yeah, so that that's, like one thing preparation-wise that it, that we had to think about. Okay, are we going to dance? Are we going to practice with masks or without masks? Once we get to the show, um, are the dancers going to be masked or are they not going to be masked? And keeping that in mind, okay, now audience members. Are the audience members going to be masked or are they not going to be masked? Now, in New York City, you do have to have a uh, vaccination in order to attend a show. Um, so that's kind of an ex- expectation. But also like, all right, the theater, we, we were in a black box theater that I believe um, can hold any, like something like 60 to 80 people. It's a smaller venue. Um, but we were asked by the venue to only sell 35 seats, keeping in mind that we'll probably have like five or so, um, comps for like the dancers, um, or like volunteers to sit. Um, and and then also I would be in there, the dancers would be in there, the crew would be in there. Um, and then also like the servers because we had servers serving drinks and food. Um, so we knew that it would be like between 40 and 50 people per show if we sold up to 35 tickets. So we already knew that like our ticket prices were gonna have to change um, if we wanted to be able to make anything back. So it's almost like the, the cost went up a little bit because there were fewer seats available. Like uh, what is that called? Supply and demand. Um, so we greatly reduced from like, potentially 80 80 people in the theater to 35. So um, that was definitely something that we had to keep in mind. But even with like potentially 35 people, do we space people up? Do we force them to wear masks? Um, And all of this actually did evolve in real time as we got closer and closer to our shows. Um, Other things, um, dressing rooms, how do we put the dancers in the dress rooms? Testing. do we require tests? Do we provide tests? Being a small pickup company, we couldn't provide tests. but New York City ballet, um, being a large organization with a lot more funding, they did provide testing. I don't think it was every day at first. I think it was like sporadically here and there. Um, but then uh, they started testing. and then the reason one of the reasons sorry the reason they closed was because something like seven dancers tested positive at a handful of like crew and orchestra members in an- in one day. And they were like, okay, this just, we need to close down for a period of time. But then when it got worse, they decided to just finish their, their run. Um, the rockets I don't really understand this, no shade, but kind of shade. Um, they are a massive organization and they did not provide testing for their performers. So the performers had to do their own testing. And then the reason that they shut down the show, like while everybody was sitting in the audience is because one of the dancers was waiting for a test to come back and it came back positive and they had to cancel that show. Um, And then they just canceled their season. Um, So test, like, how are you going to test? Like, are you going to pay for that testing? You have to think about that in the budget now. Um, Or like for us, we had our shows as the surge started to hit. And to ask dancers to go get tested before they came to the performances, it was actually impossible because the lines to get tested were anywhere from like, an hour to multiple hours long. And then you would get the test. And because there were so many people testing, the results were taking even longer. Um, Some of the PCR tests were taking days to come back. So it's like, if you got tested the day of the show, you wouldn't even get your results until well beyond that. So um, that was something else to be prepared for. But even in the preparations for like, how are we going to keep our dancers and audience safe? Like the everything changed and all of a sudden it wasn't as easy. Cause here in New York, you can get a free test anywhere. Um, like the week before our shows, I walked up to a tent in times square. Um, it took five minutes for me to like register my information at that tent. And then they swallowed my nose and I had my results, uh, my negative result in like 15 minutes via email. Um, so it's like really when it's not a surge here, um, it's really easy at this point to get a test and to get your results, but all of that changed. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Um, well, let me think. What else do you have to be prepared for? Um, <laughs> really, it's just, I mean, you have to be prepared for multiple dancers to go out. Do you have understudies? Were those understudies with that person? You have to think, like, when you rehearse, you want the understudies to be there, but do you need to separate them? Like, I know with New York City Ballet, having, like, a massive production, I think they reduced the number of kids on stage. And then they also like separated different casts so that they weren't like interacting. So if they had to like throw one cast on, but it got to the point where it was like no longer sustainable, where where you would think like they were probably on like plan G or H. I may be wrong. Could it be even further down the line um, before they shut down? And it got to the point where they were like, wow, I can't believe we've gone this far that we're going to have to shut down. Um, But yeah, so... Um. there's so many things that you have to prepare Um, without COVID. But then I feel like I actually just spent way more time talking about the things you have to prepare with COVID. So it kind of gives you a sense of like how I got to a breaking point where I just didn't know how to move forward and why I got sick. Um, and why like, I am taking a break um, because to put on a production as a one person show, essentially, I mean, I'm not performing. I'm not saying I'm the only person performing, but to like do a majority of like the groundwork myself and then choreograph on top of it um, and rehearse the dancers. um, It was extremely overwhelming. And then you add all of the layers of preparation and what could go wrong and what did go wrong with COVID. It is just wholly overwhelming. Um, I mean, it's not to say that there aren't, like, things that you can gain during this time, um, but, like, the potential losses may not be worth the gains. Like, I'm so proud of what we've been able to accomplish being a company that seriously was, like, born in a pandemic, um, and that we have found success, and that we've, like, stayed connected with our audiences, and that we've, like, continued to put on programming in both, like, uh, performance capacity and educational capacity— Um, but the risk of failure, if we didn't hold our shows and I got pretty close to thinking that we, um, wouldn't hold our shows, um, I would be like very, very in debt because movement headquarters right now is still very closely tied to my personal account. We're looking to go into and transition into a 501c3 not for profit this year, um, but right now, I have an S-Corps, uh, which is uh, similar to an LLC, and everything is run through that, but it's connected to my personal taxes. Um, so if everything goes down with Movement Headquarters, it's going to also affect me. Um, so as a small company, the, the potential career gains and uh, visibility gains are... Um, could very easily be destroyed by the potential losses if we had to shut down completely and weren't able to actually hold our shows. Um, So yeah, I I mean... (laughs) I'm going to jump around for a second. I, I was really lucky. I'm going to talk a little bit about the week of our shows and just like give you a sense of what actually happened. Um, Cause this is about programming and COVID times and this is exactly what happened. So we made it through our first like week or two of rehearsal fine. And then I started to feel ill and then we started wearing masks and then people started to get stressed um, and like dances were testing, but uh, and they were all coming back negative. Then the week of the show, um, I have a I have a good friend um a close friend who works in the emergency room um in Midtown Manhattan in an emergency room in Midtown Manhattan and he texts me um the Monday of the week of our shows we had shows the 17th and 18th of December and he said something is not right um and I was like what are you talking about and he said that uh, he hadn't had all covid patients since um earlier in 2021, um, during the winter surge that happened in New York city. Um, and I, I knew at that point that like shit was going to hit the fan. Um, so two days later, the news picked up on this fact. Um, and when that happened, not only were people getting tested because they weren't feeling well, but people were getting tested because they were, going to travel over the next week for Christmas holiday to see their families. And then I think a lot, what happened was a lot of those people started testing positive and it just created like, it wasn't like scary or like the, the March, 2020 shutdown. And when everybody got sick, then it was a a calmer version of that, but it was still kind of chaotic in the sense that it was just, um, everybody knew it was happening, but it was like, how bad is this going to get? And then everybody wanted to go get tested, and it just created like a gridlock, essentially. Um, so I knew on Monday that things were happening, and then by Wednesday they started to like the news started to pick up on it. Um, and then so this is what happened: we had a dancer who had a, a coughing fit, um, and in the right after we had one of our rehearsals, um, I believe it was dress rehearsal, um, and So there was fears about COVID for that. He ended up being okay. Um, Then uh, we had a volunteer meeting, on the, on dress rehearsal as well. And one, and we had very few volunteers. We didn't need a lot of volunteers, but we had a volunteer that was supposed to help us at the front of the house. They came to the volunteer meeting at 7 PM and then at, very happy, excited to be there. Um, and then went home and I don't know what happened. Um, they emailed me and they said, I'm not, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to be able to volunteer cause I, I don't feel safe. So then within 10 minutes, I got a, a message from, a ticket buyer that they wouldn't be at the show the next day because they were diagnosed with COVID. And then 10 minutes later, I got a message um, from a a student of mine who had purchased tickets um, and her, one of her kids tested positive for COVID. So she wasn't going to be able to come. And that was like, I knew, I knew things were going down at that point. And I started to like wonder, like, is it my responsibility not to hold these shows, even though I could potentially go into like tens of thousand dollars of debt? Um, are my dancers going to be safe? Are the audience members going to be safe? Um, are we at a point in COVID where everybody understands what the risks are and is it now their responsibility? Is that my responsibility? Is it the public's responsibility? There were just so many things going through my head at that point. Um, so instead of like panicking and like making any split second decision, split second decisions, I decided that it was time for me to just like take it a minute at a time. And everything that, that happened from that point, um, we were going to, instead of try to project, we were going to react. Um, and that's not like really a way that you want to like run a production. Like you want to project what's going to happen and try to, uh, prevent any like bad outcome. Um, and then if something happens, then you react. Um, but the idea is like, try to have to prevent, the moments where you have to like react in a moment um but in covid times like you essentially have to just be prepared to react in a moment and that's like with the the Rockettes, where they reacted in the moment and they just canceled the show and then they canceled their season it was like boom 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 done all the dominoes fell and that was i think the wednesday that was the day that like the news started to like really pick things up um so that was thursday evening one of the dancers had a coughing fit ended up not having COVID. Um, so the next day we, so we ended up having, we had five shows. Um, and typically the way that ticket sales worked pre COVID was people would buy tickets like a few weeks in advance. And then the ticket sales would pick up even more. As you got to the show in the show week, it would be like, that's where you'd sell the majority of your tickets. Now, like people wait until the day of the show or the day before, because back in 2020, so many people lost their tickets. They didn't get their money back. Um, And ever since like people just they don't want to spend money if they're not going to actually get to like follow through with it. So people were waiting to purchase tickets. They started to pick up on Monday. They started to pick up on Tuesday and then Wednesday they just like crashed. And I made the decision on I think it was Wednesday afternoon um, that I was we were supposed to have five shows, two on Friday, three on Saturday. Um, Our 8 p.m. show on Saturday had sold four tickets by Wednesday. And I made the decision to cancel that show. Four out of 35. Um, A, I thought that it was going to be overkill. Um, B, I was hoping that it would, if anybody was curious about attending that show, maybe would push them into another show. Um, But in the end, I think it was the best decision. And we decided to have four shows. Two on Friday, 5.30 and 8 p.m. And then two on Saturday, 2.30 and 5.30 p.m. So uh, by Friday, our first show had only sold like eight tickets. And I was also considering canceling that show. The other shows were, like, somewhere between, like, 15 and 25. Plus, we had a handful of comps for the – for because the, to every professional show, dancers receive comp, comp tickets to uh, have, like, a, a family member or a friend come in and enjoy the show and get to see them perform. Um, I think it's a very important thing to have that because you want to have people there to support you. And you also are putting in all this work and also usually underpaid. It's like a nice perk for the dancers. Um, but yeah, so we ended up deciding to hold the show with eight people and I came out and I gave a speech for each show and I made light of the situation. it's so like, I'd rather talk about it than like sit there and pretend like, oh my God, there's nobody here. So I was like, you guys are at the most COVID friendly show you've that in New York city right now. Um, and, uh, it was actually a good show and it was nice because it gave us a chance to like sort of get into the flow of being in front of an audience again. Um, and then, uh, our other shows, they were, they were better attended, but I had at least 15 or 20 ticket buyers send me messages and say, I have COVID. I've been exposed. I've taken care of somebody with COVID. I'm too scared of COVID. I'm visiting my family next week. I don't want to be in an audience so we had we had a handful of cancellations. Um, so in the end, I was really glad that we only had 35 seats because um, if we had like 80 seats, it would have been like the most empty theater you've ever been in. But we actually, it felt like each show was well attended. Um, so we, like like I said, we held our shows Friday and I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna wake up on Saturday and I'm gonna get messages from somebody if I'm gonna hear from like the state that we have to shut down shows. Um, like our lighting designer, um, Caitlin Bramer, she's from the LA opera. She flew out. She's one of my close friends. Um, she did the lighting. She handled the projections, um, that we had in the background. She handled the music. Um, she was like a one woman show and she did so much for us. She called the show. If she went down with COVID, like there was no way we could hold the show. Um, So, or if like more than one dancer ended up with COVID, like we couldn't hold the show or if our chef like ended up with, like, there were so many things that if like one person went down, um, then we wouldn't have been able to hold the show. So I woke up on Saturday morning and I did not want to look at my phone, but I was like, I need to know now. So I looked at my phone and nothing had happened. So I was like, okay, I think we're going to get to this. And by the time that we got there for the, and, and we're like almost into the first show, I knew we were going to have our shows. Um. So they went very, very well and everybody was really happy to have the shows. I had several conversations with people and really the overwhelming feeling, um, I, I know you think I'm going to say something about like how amazing the show was Um, and I hope that everybody felt that way. I got a lot of positive feedback, but the overwhelming feeling was that at this point in the pandemic, people are responsible for their own actions. And if you feel that there is a risk, you shouldn't, you shouldn't take on that risk. But, um, If we want to be able to move forward as society, if we want the arts to survive this, um, we have to continue pressing forward as long as people are healthy and that we're doing the best that we can do to remain safe. Um, That was the general response that I got from people when I I would tell them I feel guilty for holding these shows. Um, So... uh, it was pretty amazing that we were actually able to follow through with these shows. And I'm really grateful that I did choose to follow through with them, but I am at a point right now where I need to take a little bit of a step back. I need to like reassess and figure out a, how to like share responsibilities and bring on additional employees, um, into the organization, but also just to like sit back and assess like gains versus losses during this period of COVID because, um, as a small company, a big hit could destroy us. Where like for New York City Ballet, like I know I know when I was like a union delegate at Pacific Northwest Ballet, um, Nutcracker. The the thought of losing Nutcracker was the most devastating thing, and we all thought it would destroy the ballet company. But um, like. Obviously, companies have weathered the storm and with like New York City Ballet, for instance, um, they held a majority of their shows, but they probably lost like a week and a half of income for Nutcracker, which was significant. Plus, people probably weren't buying tickets in the same way that they were before. um, So there were probably fewer ticket sales, but um, they are still able to survive and go on um, having lost ticket sales. But for a small company like like movement headquarters, um, a big blow could really be the end of our organization just as we're getting started. Um, so yeah, I, I'm taking a step back just to see like how things evolve and to see like if this pandemic is going to become endemic where we finally just start to live with it and we don't have all of these freakouts um, when like, a group of people get sick, um, I mean, in the end, I like I said, I'm really glad that we put on the shows. I'm really proud of what we did. It was the biggest production I've ever done in my life, um, and it, there were so many aspects of it that came together. And I'm so proud of it. But um, we did we did end up a few days after our show have a dancer test positive, positive. Um, and uh, like when that happened, I felt guilty for it. Um, like I felt like it was my fault, but then my my husband and I went to Mexico and we started hearing all of our friends not just in New York but friends like in Los Angeles and New York and in Pennsylvania um and all around the country people just started testing positive with covid like so many people started testing positive and then I actually didn't feel as guilty because I was like it wasn't just the fact that I held a show like this new variant is so uh it's so contagious that people all around the world are testing positive especially in the United States so Um, yeah, it's, it is crazy trying to put on programming in COVID times. I'm sure it's a little bit easier when you have like multiple employees to like help you bear the brunt of all of the programming and stress and preparation and shifting. Um, but to do it as a one person, like gig with some help on the side, um, it's extremely difficult. And um, I have great respect for everybody who's continuing to keep the performing arts alive, but um, even more so for all of the small companies that don't have staff or are understaffed. Um, and for all of the dancers who are willing to uh, offer their abilities and their patience and their talent and um, understanding to also keep the performing arts alive. So. Um, yeah, I think the future with movement headquarters is bright, but I I think that, uh, every time I put on a production in this, uh, this period, I think that it overwhelms me in ways that I've never been overwhelmed before. Um, And I mean, and if you've been following my journey over the past five years as I've podcasted, like I traveled a ton for work and that was hard. Um, I commuted for two years from Philadelphia to New York, and that was extremely hard. Um, I've had highs and I've had lows and I've burnt out multiple times. Um, And I really have an amazing capacity for work. And I really reached an end point. Um, in in this time, like my husband was, he sat me down ten days before the show, and he was like, hey, "What do we need to accomplish, or what do you need to accomplish that you haven't yet accomplished?" And there were several things where I just sat there, and I was like, "I don't know how to resolve this issue." Um, and a lot of it was due to COVID, um, and of course, like I was able to move forward and figure it out. Um, but it was scary to think that like me, who feels resilient and like a workhorse, and who can come up with like any. Uh, any fix to any situation, um, I hit a point where I just was like, I don't know what to do about this. Um, So yeah, uh, programming during COVID times is, it's insane. Um, And the idea that like the performing arts are the first thing to shut down and the last thing to open up, um, but like one of the most valuable parts of society, like the perfect representation of like humanity individuality, um, and just like, yeah, society in general. Um, it's so valuable, but we need help and it's hard. So, um, yeah, I didn't mean to like end on that note, but (laughs) uh, it's, it's reality. And I, I do feel it's changing. It's, it's going to change this year. Um, and that's why I'm going to take a little bit of a step back, focus on like choreographing, um, but not like putting it on stage for myself, but like my choreography, um, teaching, reconnecting with communities and really just like finding a way to build a foundation for this company that I've built, that I love and that I would love to see turn into a seasonal company, not just a pickup company, um, to make it sustainable because I think everybody's burning out during COVID and this is one thing I don't want to burn out with. So Yeah, I'm sorry that I left you guys for so long without any episodes to listen to. Um, I'm really happy to be back. I am planning on continuing regular episodes. Um, And yeah, now you know why I needed to just like... I didn't need to, I like had no choice. I guess that's needing. It was a necessity, but I needed to like take a step away from podcasting during that period of time and then to actually like take a few weeks to recover afterwards because COVID make people crazy. It make everybody crazy. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on. I hope that you continue to uh, listen to episodes of Pod of Chat. Um As always, I love to hear your feedback on episodes and I love to hear um ideas for new episodes i've been doing this for five and a half years at this point it's actually going to be six years in like three three months um and i keep on coming up with topics but i'm sure that you guys probably have better topics than i have so i would love to hear your ideas for topics you can give me a a sense of that when I, i do the outro um you'll you'll find out how to reach out to me so Let's, let's do that outro, people. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod of Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorliss.com. Again, that's www.barrycorliss.com. See, I'm a little rusty. You can also check out my company at www.movementhqballet.org. And there's also a contact sheet on there. Um, sometimes people have issues on my personal website. So you can do that or reach out to me on social media, which I'll give you in a second. Um, you can also reach out on those uh, through those avenues if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique, choreography, or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premiere Dance Network. If you wanna connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B Corollas. Uh, my company's Instagram is movement underscore headquarters or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also be sure to check out my blogs. I wrote for five years about traveling as a freelance artist and independent contracting on life of a freelance dancer. I also have Dancing Offstage, where I wrote about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. If you'd like to check out my choreography, you can also head on over to YouTube and check out my channels, B Corollas and Movement Headquarters. They're two separate channels where I post my personal choreography um, as well as Movement Headquarters uh, repertoire. Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chats. I hope you return two weeks from this Saturday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.